It's finally Friday, guys, and the Blue Bloods are here with another loaded episode full of college football content for all our listeners out there. We start the episode by talking about which school deserves the title of DBU, and we then debate about you know Jim Harbaugh's letter today that he wrote to the NCAA about the eligibility of college athletes, specifically football players. We then discussed the possibility of the season starting without all 130 FBS Division I teams due to the COVID-19 outbreak. And we wrap it all up with another recruiting update, which focuses on Florida and the rebuild that Dan Mullen is completing in Gainesville. It's about that time, so let's kick it off. So we continue or we really wrap up our position you segment uh, for every position since the start of the BCS era today. Um, you know, we've this is our sixth installment of the rankings and we continue on the defensive side of the ball and we wrap it all up with defensive back. Um, you know, I think this position, Brandon, has had some of the stronger opinions, the most heated public debates about which school is DBU. We've seen LSU and Florida get into it. LSU, Texas, Ohio State, and Alabama have in, have inserted themselves into the debate. But according to ESPN, uh, Ohio State is the real DBU, followed by LSU, Alabama, Florida, and Florida State. It's kind of weird that Texas isn't in there, huh, Brandon? Uh, but just to reiterate the rules uh, for all our new listeners out there, we can only take into account DBs from 1999 until this previous year. So, Brandon, anyone who's been listening to this podcast for probably even just one episode knows who you're going with here. So go ahead and tell us why your pick is DBU. Yeah, you know who I'm going to pick. Everyone knows it. Um Horns down, go Tigers, let's go. LSU has to be the true DBU. I mean, who else would it be? I guess ESPN had Ohio State. I can hear the out argument for Ohio State, but I don't have to agree with it, and I don't agree with it, and here's why. Here's a list of the players that make me think, that kind of make me throw up when anyone would even bring up the Ohio State University. I don't, I don't need that trash right here. So LSU has Patrick Peterson, Tyran Matthew, Jamal Adams, Tredavious White, Morris Claiborne, Eric Reed, Dante Jackson, Jalen Collins, Jalen Mills, Greedy Williams. Do I need to go on? I mean, it's not only about the number of players, but it's about the quality of players that LSU puts out at defensive back. I mean, we're talking about, uh, I mean, we're talking about Patrick Peterson, who went fifth overall. Uh, we're talking about Jamal Adams, who went sixth overall in the draft. We're talking about Morris Claiborne, sixth overall. Eric Reed was first round pick. Um, I mean, there's just so many, there's so much talent coming out of LSU at defensive back. And it's not only like the, all these players were first round picks and then they were like, oh, well, they're first round picks. We're talking about Patrick Peterson, Tyran Matthew, Jamal Adams. We're talking about some of the best defensive backs in the league, right? I mean, LSU is always in the conversation when it comes to DBU. Other schools may be in and out and in and out. Yeah, I, you know, I hear Ohio State. I like Ohio State because I'm a Saints fan, and the Saints apparently just love Ohio State. 
They draft from them all the time. But LSU is the true DBU. And, and I mean, I have countless arguments. I, I, I mean, yeah, you have the players. You have the the cons, you have the consistency of the uh, greatness of defensive backs at LSU. Um, but I mean, not only does LSU have this bright past, you know, like this, you know, they, they've been good in the past. They have players coming in right now. I, I mean, we're talking about Stingley, who's at LSU right now. I mean, LSU's defensive backs just seem endless. You know, I, I've talked about other positions, you know, about how maybe Wisconsin just has a, has a stable of running backs or how USC's quarterbacks just always seem to be there. But this is the position you that I'm the most uh, passionate about, if that's not obvious to this point. And that's because this is, I mean, if I had to choose one position you to be above any others, I mean, LSU is just head and shoulders above any other school when it comes to defensive backs. You know, I don't want to ruin your day, man. I really, really do not want to ruin your day. Go I'm going to have to here. Um, the stats don't agree with you here. And as, no, the analytics guy, as, as the analytics guy, I have to tell you why ESPN got another one right. And Ohio State is the obvious answer here. And let me just say this. LSU is a close second. And I know Brandon's about to just wig out on the other end. Uh, but Ohio State has data that supports this argument, all right? Brandon, you ready for this? Go ahead. Which school has had the most first-round DBs drafted in the past five years? I, I want to know how well they've done. Um, Ohio State, I don't care how much well they've done. Ohio State has seven in the past five years. LSU has only had two. Uh, and let's extend this, Brandon. I mean, you know, we're talking about a whole two decades here, pretty much. If we extend this back to the year 2000 and just look at, you know, first round picks from the secondary, Ohio State has 13, while LSU only has six. That I seems mean, like a pretty fine. convincing difference. Yeah, but I mean that's just first round. I mean the list goes on. I I, I listed okay. all LSU's first rounders. Okay. I got I also, you. I, yeah, I got you. Hang on, I'm about to defend myself here. Total defensive backs drafted since 2000, Brandon. Total, 32 for Ohio State, only 25 for LSU. Nah, that's that you can't say only in 25 in the same sentence. That's oh no, no 20, no 25 is impressive, but 32 is more than 20. I mean that's. Uh, that's significant, and it seals up the case for Ohio State here. And you made the argument that you need star power. You have to have star power to drive it. Uh, Brandon, is Jeff Okuda pretty good? Casey's pretty good, I guess. Denzel Ward? Uh, he's okay. Marshawn Lattimore? I know you don't want to say anything bad about Marshawn Lattimore, Brandon. Not as a Saints fan. We got we to gotta love Marshawn. Uh we Gary can talk crap about Eli Apple, though. Let's talk about Eli Apple. <laughs> what? What? This? He's not trash. He's decent. Okay, that's uh, whatever. Not, okay, and we're not talking about NFL talent here. We are talking about what they did in college. And Brandon, you want to keep going? Bradley Roby was pretty good, right? I mean, all right, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Malcolm Jenkins. Are you going to say he was not very good? He was very good. I'll give you that. Uh, Chris Gamble, Nate Clements, and you know you know how much you like Anton Winfield Jr., right? Right. Uh, his dad also came from Ohio State and was a better player than him in the secondary. 
the and the list can go on and on. And this is just some of the star potential here. The consistency's there. The stats are there. There's no bias here. I don't like Ohio State. I I told Brandon before this I was going to pick LSU, but doing my research, I mean, everything is pointing to Ohio State here. Uh, fine. You, uh, you don't want to debate this? Uh, no, I, I've already given my argument. I, I mean, I'm not backing down. Why do you th- – what? I already told you I throw up when I think about Ohio State. There's just – I think that the talent is leaps and bounds better for LSU defensive backs. I really do. I mean, okay, you I, you're, you can look I, me dead in the eye and tell me that in college there was a better player that came from Ohio State, uh, a player that was better than Tyron Matthew. I don't think you can. But that that's not like a fair comparison. I mean, Tyrone Matthews probably the probably one of the best defensive backs to ever come out of college, right? And he didn't even play. I mean, he played like a season and a half at LSU. Imagine if he would have played four years. Yeah, but he did it. That's uh, it's just a big what if there. Uh, I guess it is a big what if. But you all, I mean, Patrick Peterson, Jamal Adams. There are so many greedy Williams. I mean, there's just so many. There's so much talent that comes out of LSU, and I understand that you're telling me, hey, there, you know, there's 32 draft picks since 2000 from from Ohio State at defensive back. That's fine, but how great were they? How great were they in college? I understand you can have people drafted in the seventh round. You can have people drafted back when the draft had like 20 I mean, rounds had, in it that they, were drafted. Then they, they had seven more first round picks. I get okay. Just, okay, that's I'm falling apart here. I'm in shambles. Everyone knows. Everyone, I mean, everyone I mean, knows I get in shambles sometimes. I, I, I would argue Jeff Okuda had a better college career than any cornerback coming out of LSU. Nah, it's debatable. It, he played at his whole career. He had no pass interference calls, Brandon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know. You know that great stat that gets into the Hall of Fame where you don't have any pass interference calls. That is a, a amazing stat. I mean, you don't yeah, cost your team, no especially one, no in the NFL. That. Especially yeah, in the NFL. It's a spot foul. So you want a guy who is what not. Are you talking about? But what are you talking about when you talk about greatness? You're not talking about, oh, he didn't have any pass interference calls. You're talking about passes defended. You're talking about interceptions. We're not talking about no pass interference calls. Exactly. Jeff Akuda had one of the best percentages for for breaking up catchable passes at his that time in Ohio State. Argument. Your argument was that he had no pass I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just saying that that is an outrageous stat. That shows discipline. That shows talent. That shows I, – I, I don't understand how that's a bad thing. I didn't say it was a bad thing. I just think it's funny that was your argument. And, and that, then you go back to Denzel like, Ward. I mean, Brandon, they had three DBs drafted in the first round in one year. That's pretty out. I mean, Jeff Okudo and Denzel Ward are back are two top five picks. I mean, okay. And Denzel Ward was starting over Greedy Williams in the for the Browns. Uh, well, to be when when was Denzel Ward drafted? The the year before Greedy Williams. See, he has a year of seniority. Oh my gosh. And Marshawn Lattimore, you've said was great at Ohio State and great for the Saints. Well, he was he was really great for the Saints in his first in his rookie season. Since then, I mean, he's been good. But. How are you going to say that with a straight face? How are you going to say that? <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, 
I don't know. Uh, I just yeah, he's not der- yeah, he's not Darrell Revis, but I would say he's probably a top five DB in the in the league right now. I mean, he's no Tyron Matthew, but yeah, he's pretty good. I mean, fair enough, but I mean, not many people. I mean, Tyron Matthew was on our All Decade team. Yeah. Oh, hey, how many how many Ohio State DBs were on our All Decade team? That, I mean. Who was our who were the DBs? Uh, Shouldn't Tyron, you know? Tyron Matthew, Mika Fitzpatrick. Yeah. Um. Oh, well, I guess Morris Claiborne too. Yeah. I mean, it's starting all that up right now, right? <laughs> uh, you see, like, I like I even put in my argument that LSU has some good players, but I still wouldn't rank them. I, I think consistently some good oh, players. And and my bad, Jalen Ramsey was the other cornerback. But I'm just thinking, if if you have more first round picks, you have more drafted overall, you can match star power at the top. Don't you have to give the nod to Ohio State? You don't have to. No, I don't think you do. I I understand what you're saying, and, and you know, several times while I was while I was defending LSU, I said, you know what, Ohio State, good. I just, you know, the, there's there are certain intangibles. There's certain, I mean, even tangibles that that to me boost LSU above above Ohio State here. Ah, guys, we can go back and forth all day. We're going to post these on social media now that we're done with these. We, you know, and then we're even going to put it up to a vote. You guys are going to vote who's, who is positioned you for each of these positions. We'll let y'all's voices shine here. But for right now, we're going to move on. And we're going to talk about Jim Harbaugh's letter to the NCAA. This is very recent news. Um uh, you know, it's another day, another outspoken Jim Harbaugh moment for college football. I feel like these are adding up. A lot of talk for a guy who doesn't win much, but Jim Harbaugh released a letter to the football community today as we're recording, which is Thursday, about the eligibility of college football players and their freedom to declare for the NFL draft. Um, Harbaugh calls for the NCAA to do a few things, and these kind of lead up to making changes similar to NCAA basketball and baseball, which has a lot more freedom where NBA, where high school players could, you know, uh, potentially go straight to the draft. They also potentially could only go to college for a year with the one and done rule. Baseball, you can go straight to the draft, but if you come back, you have to play three years in college baseball. Uh, you know, so we wanted to break down Harbaugh's demands, we would say, and talk about the possibility of these changes regarding college football players. So, Brandon, the first one that, you know, he throws out here is he says that if a player declare should be able to declare for the draft whenever he wants, whether that be after his first, second, third, fourth, fifth year. And if he's not drafted in the first 224 picks, I don't know why that specific number Um he should then be able to return to college football without penalty. Your, your thoughts on this? Look, and let me – I I don't agree with Jim Harbaugh here. As much as I would like to say, yeah, I agree with Jim Harbaugh, I can't do it here. You know, th- This is one of those things, you know, usually when Zach and I talk about uh, players and players' rights, things like that, I usually take the side of the players. You know, I think that they should have as much freedom as possible. This is this is a little bit different because this is like you're giving all the power to the players and there's like no benefits for the NCAA. And if, when there's no benefits for the NCAA, there's no benefits for the NCAA fan. So um, I, I can't side with Jim Harbaugh here. I think that's an awful idea to let players uh, 
let players decide, you know what, I want to go to the draft at any point. You know, that means they could go to college for one season and then declare for the draft. That means that we could potentially see players going and playing football for half a season and then being like, you know what, I'm done with this season. I'm just going to sit out. I'll declare for the draft. I mean, why would you do that? I mean, you have an incredible first six games of the season. What's the point of coming back, right? I mean, you don't want to risk injury. I mean, we see like a we see like a like a Bosa situation, right? You know, if someone wants to sit out, and then you know, it, I'm not going to get hurt. I'm going to the draft. Um, and then if they don't get drafted within, what'd you say, the first 224 picks? Yeah, 224. Yeah, I don't. I mean, you can just go back with no repercussions. I mean, that's. I mean, fine. I guess I don't really have too much opposition against that. Um, as long as your eligibility is not up, which is, well, yeah, spoiler alert, that's another uh, issue that Jim Harbaugh wants to tackle here in his uh, crayon written letter to the NCAA. But um, I don't know, man. It, it's just you brought up uh, making NCAA football more like basketball and baseball, I guess, being able to declare whenever you want. Uh, there's a reason that that NCAA football brings in so much more money than than baseball or basketball or any other sport. And it's because these players are committed to their teams for at least three seasons. You know, they 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 sign that letter of intent, and you know what that means? That means I'm here for the next three seasons, I guess, unless you transfer. Um, I just I don't see a world in which this is a a good argument. Yeah, I completely agree here. I don't. So okay, so let me preface this. Okay, if if a if we leave the rule the same, which I think we should regarding this, if a junior underclassman or or redshirt sophomore declares for the draft and is not drafted, I do think that player could should be able to come back. Right, uh, and that's 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 exactly. I mean, I didn't really get around to saying that. I had a lot to say, and uh, but yeah, I mean, why not? I, I think it ends up potentially causing a little bit of like tension within the locker room, but that's not like, Hey, you should have a rule against it because of that. I just, I think that's more of like a decision by the player. Yeah. And it offers like a safety that, I mean, some of these players are borderline. I mean, you don't think Thaddeus Moss thought he was going to get drafted. I mean, he, he's his draft evaluation gave him like a fourth, fifth round pick and he wasn't drafted. I mean, a player like that should be able to come back if circumstances change. I mean, I don't think it's a, I don't think this is a horrible idea. I think, you know, being able to declare absolutely whenever they want is not a good idea because I think football is a different sport. I've said this on the podcast. Football is not baseball. A kid out of high school maybe can compete because baseball is not a physical sport. I mean, Brandon, I mean, do you see too many players coming out of high school that real deal could step in and start for an NFL team? No, no. Not really. I mean, I mean could, could, could you absolutely is a different sport, like you said. I mean, to take the number one offensive lineman in the past five recruiting classes. Is he going to be able to stand up to JJ Watt coming around the uh, coming around the end? No, absolutely not. It's it's just a different world, and basketball is completely different. I mean, basketball is a more, might be a more physical sport than baseball, but it's still not. You know, maybe if you're in the low block, but I mean, you could be undersized and still do big things in the NBA and that's a whole nother discussion for another podcast. Uh, but I have no problem with players who are eligible to declare for the draft coming back if they're not drafted, but the weird two twenty four 
pick thing and being able to declare whenever they want. I cannot get behind here with Harbaugh. But Brandon, the next thing he talks about is if a player leaves early, then the school owes him an equivalent amount of scholarship or quote unquote opportunity to return and get his degree. So let's just say Joe Burrow played two years of football at LSU. LSU is required by the NCAA, and according to this proposal, to give Joe Burrow a two-year scholarship to come back and finish his degree. Thoughts on this proposal by Harbaugh? Yeah, in general, I think it's awful. You know, that specific scenario that you gave to me is probably something that LSU would do. But, I mean, let's talk about, like, players that don't play. I mean, let's talk about Miles Brennan, who's been at LSU for for what? I mean, he's been there for two seasons now. Three seasons, yeah. and, yep. and you know he hasn't seen any playing time. Do you give this kid another scholarship to come back and and get his master's or his doctorate? You know <laughs> because he 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 backed up uh, quarterbacks for a majority of his uh, career. No, I mean it's. I think this causes a lot of issues um, because it's not like these schools have just an endless amount of money. You know, a lot of the money these schools are making. People forget a lot. And I say that a lot, but people really do forget that that these colleges they aren't for profit institutions; they're non profit institutions, or at least a majority of them are. I mean, I understand there are for profit colleges, but they're usually not super uh, super relevant in the NCAA. Um, and so, like you know, what that means that means that whatever money they make, they reinvest into themselves, and they end up dispersing those throughout scholarships the money that football makes that football makes for a team what it ends up doing is it ends up paying for the next season it ends up funding scholarships it ends up funding all sorts of things and and when you go and you say hey here's an athletic scholarship for you to come play football for us and plus on top of this for however many years you played for us you also get uh you also get an academic scholarship once you finish in the nfl you're taking away scholarships from other people, people who worked, I mean, just insanely hard throughout high school, throughout, you know, community college, throughout whatever, who have finally made it to university, who deserve that scholarship, but you're going to give it to the kid who played football for you or who maybe didn't even play, maybe just kind of was on the team for a few years. I just, I don't, I think that causes a lot of issues because that money's not endless. You know, if, if one of these players gets an academic scholarship, you know what that means? That means someone else is losing one. So I, I think that's, like I said, I mean, I, I can criticize Jim Harbaugh all I want, but I mean, this seriously seems like he was, uh, it seriously seems like he might have written this entire proposal like in crayon. That's just how it feels to me. <laughs> I agree here, man. I mean, if like I get, you know, they're busy playing football, they're busy doing whatever sport they're playing, but I mean, you have opportunity to get your degree while you're in school. I mean, if, if if the whole point of like I'm going to be a student athlete, that's I don't think I think the school owes them a scholarship for what they signed. I mean, if we're gonna hold, why are we holding the school to the amount of time they signed their national letter of intent, but not the player? Right. I I hear all this stuff about well, these national letters of intent, the colleges take advantage. The colleges this that this. I mean, why is the college supposed to? I mean. Brandon, I mean, you've been on the, you've been applying for jobs and everything. I mean, if a company came to you and was like, "Hey, we're going to sign you to a three-year contract," 
and you left that company for a better job after one year, would you expect that company to hold that contract for whenever you may or may not need it later? And be like, hey, we signed you for a three-year contract, so just come back 10 years later and we got you that two-year contract. Yeah, we got you in the future. Don't even worry about it. No, they wouldn't do that. Yeah, so why are we doing this for players? I mean, if you want your degree, stay for the four or five years that you signed that national letter of intent for and get your degree. Why? I don't understand why we're holding the colleges to a different standards and a different standard than the player. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, even if you're playing a sport, how many players have we seen get a great degrees? I mean, we just saw Joshua Dobbs at Tennessee stay for four years and get an aerospace engineering degree. Yeah, yeah, I, that's nuts. I mean, and he was the starting quarterback, guys. So I don't want to hear that these players don't have time or it's impossible. But, you know, I think players should have freedom, but I don't think they should get, like Brandon said, more opportunities than the average student who might bring money into the university a different way. I think this is holding the school to an unfair standard. And if the player decides to leave to go make millions of dollars, then that you forfeit the years you had left on your scholarship. That's that's on you. That's your decision that you wanted to make. Uh, so the next one is um, he pretty much wants to Harbaugh wants to pretty much get rid of scholarship limits and he wants eligibility to be moved to practically five years for college football players. Brandon, uh, what, another outrageous what, request. What do you want, Jim? Do you, do you want, like five schools to have all the talent because that's what you're going to get out of this. I mean, you're going to get the teams that make the most money for their universities. You're going to get the, the Alabamas, uh, the Auburns, the LSUs, the Penn States, the Ohio States. Uh, I mean, you're going to get these, I mean, you're going to get these big programs who make a lot of money for their schools. And then guess what? These smaller schools that do you really think that that the group of five is going to exist if this rule passes? <laughs> because they're not. You're not going to get that. You're going to get these these huge schools signing everyone they can. I mean, how many times have we seen a school can't that can't offer you know that that one three star prospect who who they really wanted? They can't offer that kid because guess what? They filled up their scholarship limit. Oh, we've seen that time. I mean, countless times, you know, these kids aren't going to want to go walk onto a team, you know, if they have talent where they can get a scholarship elsewhere. And that's the whole reason that they have the scholarship limit. You know, you do away with that and the, well, chaos ensues. Zach, what was the second part of that question? Because I'm, I got caught up in that. Yeah. Um, so get rid of scholarship limits and eligibility move to five years. Why? Without, Why? without a red shirt. Why? Oh wait, is he, is he, so is he like abolishing the red shirt rule? So it's just moving it. To, I, I don't know if he wants. He didn't specify if he wants to get rid of a red shirt. He just wants to say players should be able to play for five years, even if they're not red shirted. I don't understand why. I guess it gives like the players another opportunity to. I, I don't know. I, I guess if they're sitting behind somebody, they have a few extra years or something. I yeah, guess that's that's what like, that's what I would imagine. I like guess someone like, like you, Miles Brennan. Like so, here's here's the situation that I'm that I'm thinking of here. It, this has to be like, uh, have you played Madden 20 yet, Zach? I, I have. So Madden 20, when you play the uh, the college mode, or not the college, but like the uh, I forgot what it's called. It's the one where face you start of, out f- f- face of the franchise. Yeah, face of the franchise, and you go to that school. You're a five star <laughs> prospect. You end up going. I always go to LSU, so let's just use that as an example. So you go to LSU and. 
and your coach is like, yeah, you're going to start right away. And then he calls you into your, into his office after you've been there for like a couple months because you enrolled early. And then he's like, hey, we got the number one quarterback prospect in the nation. He's like, I would suggest transferring. And you're like, no, I'm not going to do that. So is this rule just I, – I feel like Jim Harbaugh just played Madden one time, and he's like, yeah, that's a, that would be kind of a good idea, actually, is if we expanded – if we extended eligibility for five years. I don't understand why you would do that. I mean, okay. there's a so, retro rule can, in place, can, right? Can, can I throw something at you? Go ahead. I really think it's because he played for five years, and he's – I believe he even <laughs> said this at one point, is that he played for five years and he went off to a successful career. So it's like – do you? so I guess he might think you need five years to truly develop into a good prospect. <laughs> Look, we're talking about the same man who like chugged milk because he truly thought that would make him – get taller like as a child let's look it up it happened he he used to like chug milk he used to drink milk at like every meal because he thought he would get big and strong because of it like you know your parents tell you that when you're a kid so that you'll drink milk and like maybe like maybe you won't break your bones because you have calcium yeah he slept, he, he's, he's slept upside down like a vampire with like weights so you get taller yeah, just, yeah no he was and i guess you know he is a kind of a tall guy so maybe it does work maybe it, we should. It, it, he's like he's one lanky dude like yeah i don't know maybe maybe we should be uh, listening to him more but you know this I is just, just another I want to know what color he wrote that comment in because he's already used the green and the yellow, so he might be on to like blue now. That's tough. I mean, I, I just don't understand the scholarship limit thing. I mean, Michigan's already having trouble recruiting against Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson. You just want to give those teams endless possibilities now? That's what I'm saying. I mean, you're telling me the best quarterback you can land is in the transfer portal and it's Shea Patterson, but you think, hey, let's go ahead and give ourselves more competition here. Hey, he was a savior there for a minute. Oh, whatever. <laughs> I mean, and the eligibility move to five years, I mean, it is what it is, man. If you if you can't win the starting job in four years, you just didn't deserve the starting job. Oh, you're telling me? that's. I'm just saying, I mean, like nobody – in the world has ever just been like, Hey, I, I suck completely in college. And so now I'm going to be the best NFL quarterback of all time. Exactly. I'm telling you, I'm telling you what happened. I mean, he, he took, he took his uh, hall of fame quarterback. He named it Jim Harbaugh because that's, that's what you have to do in this situation. I think he turned on his Xbox and he was like, you know what? This kid should have had more time than just the college football playoff. He should have a whole other year. And yeah, he didn't get that. So he's well, like, yeah, let's make a new rule. I mean, so like the last one actually is one of the points I agree with. And it is to allow players and family to seek advice from agents without receiving compensation before making career decisions. And I love this idea. Yeah, I mean, and I've, I've been pretty vocal about this too. I think. I don't think there's a real reason that you shouldn't be able to consult with an agent before you are a professional, I guess. Yeah, I mean, these guys are making multi-million dollar decisions by themselves. Yeah. That's that's it's terrible. I mean, even these college coaches aren't qualified to help them make these decisions. To have an agent or have I – th- I believe we talked about it when we had Nick on the podcast. Um, we talked about having like some type of board or some type of – group like cons- consulting group that they these players could go to to make sure they're making the proper decisions and to have someone to help them walk them through these decisions and i think this is one of the things that the NCAA really needs to improve on because i think players are just kind of left to dry in these situations 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you said, they're we're leaving it up to to kids that aren't even college graduates yet. Some kids won't be college graduates. And it's not like you have to be a college graduate to make these decisions. But I mean, we're talking about we're talking about 18, 19, 20, 21 year old kids making decisions for, you know that that their that their multi-million dollar career depends on, you know, by themselves. That's I don't, you're you are punishing these players by not allowing them to talk to agents before they're professional. That's just, I mean, that's, I don't under, that's in my opinion, that's just not ethical. I completely agree with you on that one. I mean, this needs to be done ASAP, but for right now, guys, we're going to move on to our next topic. Another one kind of like abstract talking about current events here. I mean, a lot, I think this might be an understatement. A lot is still unknown about the upcoming college football season, and most of the commentary is just pure speculation at this point, I would say. But the most recent debate stems from the large discrepancy across the country and different states and their response to the outbreak of COVID-19. Uh, you know, most a lot of the states in the South are moving toward reopening very soon, while out west in California, Oregon, Washington – I mean, those states are pretty much on complete lockdown social distancing. Uh, so a lot of experts have started to wonder if college football could return without all, all 130 FBS Division I teams. I mean, Brandon, this this is interesting because the ACC has teams that are as far south as Miami, but they also have other teams that are all the way, you know, in Massachusetts. And... Other conferences like the Big Ten span the opposite way where there's teams in Nebraska and other teams all the way in Maryland. This could lead to some teams not being able to play because of the law in their state. And today, on Thursday, um, May 7th, uh, Oregon Governor Kate Brown called for all events with crowds like sporting events to be canceled or rescheduled all the way until September. Brandon, I don't know if you remember this. Ohio State is supposed to travel to Eugene, Oregon in September to play the Oregon Ducks. Uh, what are your thoughts on these most recent developments, and can you see football returning without all the teams eligible to play? Oh, man, this is such a difficult question to answer just because, uh, I mean, do you seriously think that the NCAA is going to continue on without like a powerhouse like Oregon or potentially, I mean, other schools too. You know, it's not just Oregon, obviously. Oregon's the example because their governor made the statement. But I mean, you know, there's teams in all kinds of states that are that are shut down right now. I mean, you said the South is reopening. Yeah, a lot of them are. A lot of the states are. Um, Louisiana is still not. You know, everything's shut down there until at least May 15th, and then it's going to kind of get reassessed. And well, I guess we'll see where we go from there. But um, yeah, I mean, the South is pushing toward reopening pretty soon. Um, I don't know, man. It, it, it would be difficult for me to envision a college football season. I mean, because this doesn't only affect the teams that are in those states. It affects teams that play against other teams in those states. It affects the entire NCAA because, I mean, there's a, there's a scheduling system, and that scheduling system helps determine the outcome of everyone's season, right? I mean, you take away one team. I mean, it sounds like, hey, you know, it's only one team. What what harm is that going to cause? I mean, that one team, and I mean, just Oregon is the example, plays against twelve other teams that that season, just in the regular season alone. And so, 
it it messes up the schedules for those twelve teams. Um, it messes up the 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 rankings for I don't know for for um, for teams that are in the same conference as teams that play against uh, against teams. I don't even you know you know what I'm trying to say. Uh, it, it messes up everything if we don't have even one team in there. So imagine, I mean, for instance, if we have like five teams that don't play, if we have ten teams that don't play, I mean, even if it gets to the point to where like you know there's 130 teams in in college football, imagine if there's only a hundred that actually play. That just, I mean, how do you do scheduling? How do I mean you have to reschedule games at that point because that's 30 teams that play 12 teams each. So I, I'm not going to crunch the numbers right now. I could flex. It's 360, whatever. Who cares? 360, I mean, there's 360 g- potential games that are just up in the air at that point. I mean, you can't just continue a season without that. I got, I got your argument. I mean, I understand where you're coming from. I can absolutely see this happening, though. It's partly for selfish reasons, not by myself, but for like the universities and partly for just the better of society, as weird as that may seem. So states that are open or will be open in the fall definitely should have sporting events. I mean, Brandon, how excited would you be to see LSU play about anybody? Oh, so excited. And look, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have football. I'm not saying that I don't want football. I'm just saying that if there's... I. I'm just saying, if there's a lot of teams that aren't going to play, I think the NFL. I think not the NFL. I think the NCAA just tries to not cause any more headache than than they need to. If that makes sense. Yeah, I got you. And I mean, I think the main reason it will be played, Brandon, is the selfish reason I mentioned before, and that's money, finances. I mean, money drives everything. And Brandon, I mean. A no college football season. I mean, that will cost universities in NCAA billions of dollars. I mean, we're talking I don't know about billions. I mean, uh, overall, I mean, if you're talking about every single conference's income, college football playoff, bowl games, everything doesn't add up to over a billion dollars. The SEC I, makes I almost so. a billion dollars by themselves. I'd like to see the numbers. Are you are you for real? Yeah, I mean, a little bit. I mean, this is bad radio, but like, we can get into it. I mean, now I gotta look this up. No, no, no. We'll, we'll, hey, 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 we'll do the, we'll do this after the fact, Zach. We'll, we, we gotta talk about what's at hand, though. <laughs> okay, D- 2018, the SEC had just under 660 million dollars in financial revenue. Okay, that that's. Pr- I mean, and then you take in the Pac-12, the Big 12, the Big 10. That there's no way that I mean, if you just uh, there's no way that's under a billion dollars. I mean, I, okay, I I I trust you now. We're we're in the trust tree. Uh, I understand you. All right. Um. And okay. So I don't know why I looked that up because I'm so stupid. I had it in my notes. <laughs> um. Idiot. Okay, but Brandon, do you want to? Okay. I, I'm so happy. I, I looked at my notes again. Do you know how much college football total income across the entire country brought in? Wait, like last year? 2018. No, that's two years ago. What? How much? $4.6 billion. That's a lot of money. And you think there's programs, teams, conferences, everything can afford to lose that money? No, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, I mean, so... I don't think I think it's almost 
naive to think that programs will put off games and lose millions just because one or two teams in their conference can't play. You don't think if Texas A&M and Missouri can't play that Auburn, Alabama, LSU are going to wait on them? I don't think so. No, no. I mean, well, especially when you put it that way. I mean, if it's if it's Missouri, then no one will even notice. You know, but if, <laughs> if, we, if, we start, if we start talking about like, I mean, what if, you know, we already talked about Oregon, but I mean, hypothetically, and I understand this won't happen, but imagine if, if the University of Alabama was like, you know what, we're not playing football this season. Or I if promise, I promise that that happened, Auburn would find a way to join the state of Georgia and still play just to rub it in their face. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, but imagine, I mean, imagine if the state of Alabama shut down, they said, you know what? No college football this season. And imagine if, uh, I mean, what if, what if Texas did the same thing? And I mean, there's so many universities in Texas that are big drivers of the NCAA uh, or if California did the same thing. I mean, or if any of these big states, you know, big college football states did this, do you really think that it would be worth it to the NCAA? I mean, think about it this way. You already told me how much money the SEC brought in uh, in 2018. How much of that money do you think that the that Alabama alone accounted for? It had to be. I mean, it had to. I wouldn't uh, say probably most a good of bit it, of it. Well, like well, a since, lot of it, right? Well, since in 2018 they made the national championship, I would say a good bit of it. Right, and and that's what I'm saying. Like, if you take away, uh, look, if college football ends up being basically group of five let's just in a hypothetical world say that the power five all say you know what we're not playing and then it's just group of five you don't think the ncaa just shuts that down like immediately i don't know man i really don't i think there's, I, a, I think, ch- I think there's a chance I, they end up losing a little bit of money by doing that I, I really think if there's a lot of teams that can't play the the however many teams they can the ncaa will find a way to put on a tournament or something like that i think it's that serious all right, fair enough. I, I really do. I don't even care if it's four teams from the AAC, two from the old Big East. I mean, they're going to bring teams out of the woodwork for this. They don't care. I mean, it it could be Kentucky versus South Alabama for the national championship, and it would be on ESPN primetime. Okay. I, it would be that serious, in my opinion. I mean, and another thing is, I mean, you have to think about, I mean, Brandon, in 2014, how many of the 130 Division One teams were in the were were generated a revenue? Uh, 120. 24. Really? Eight, only 18 percent of D1 programs in 2014 generated a higher revenue than they spent that fiscal year. That's what I'm saying, though. I mean, imagine if those if how many how many did you say? 24 that's 18 percent well imagine that's what i mean that was my entire argument right there i mean imagine if 24 those 24 teams said you know what or those 24 schools said you know what we're not playing this year the ncaa would be forced to shut down because they wouldn't make money but but i'm that's uh, the the thing is it's not just ncaa it's the schools also have a right to play and if you have a school that's not making revenue how are you going to cut out the top grossing sport for every single university? Every single university that has a football program makes the most money from that program. I mean, a lot of these athletic departments would, would most likely go under. I mean, this, so my argument isn't that the NCAA is going to be worried. I think it's the colleges that are going to be worried. I mean, right. We have title nine where we have to have equal sports for men and women. 
you're going to have to cut sports. Yeah, I mean, you're true. telling me men's tennis is turning a profit? <laughs> Fair enough. Swimming? It's kind, of sla- it's kind of a slap in the face to the tennis and, and swimming community right now. but No, it's, yeah. it's really not. Like, I, I love watching almost all sports, but I'm sorry. Like, I'm a huge golf fan. Men's instead of play golf might lose more money than anything. When's the last time you watched an NCAA golf tournament? You're going to ask me when the last time I watched NCAA golf was, Zach. I watch NCAA golf, like, surprisingly a lot. <laughs> I love golf. Okay, golf fair guy. enough, fair enough. I, I like golf too, but I'm, how much money do you think a golf program makes? Not a lot. Nothing? <laughs> like at all. Uh, maybe I, nothing. It, buy you a nice driver? <laughs> I mean, it, it, I mean, It might cost like, you a nice driver. So if you're thinking about it, I mean, what sports realistically make profit for a school? I would say maybe Duke, Kentucky, UNC basketball probably make a profit. Uh, Vandy, LSU baseball probably makes a profit. But really outside of that, I mean, is there a lot of schools that make profit off of anything other than football? No, no, there's not. And, And so how do those sports go on if football's canceled? I really think it would it would impact colleges so far. Uh, just it's such a wide reaching effect for these universities that if your sport, if your state will let you play football, you're calling every single state across the country that will let you play that team, and you are trying to find a way. I mean, I don't even care. I mean, if Auburn had to call, let's say, let's just pick up a, a Colorado State. Let's just say Colorado was open, and they were just they were like, let's do a home and home this year. It, because there's no other teams to play. You don't think Auburn and Colorado State would be sold out for that game if that's one of the only games going on? Oh, yeah, for sure they would. Uh, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I don't think it matters how many teams sit out. If there's a game and there's already a lack of sports, I think demand is going to be there, and I think no matter who is playing, I think it'll be the first time Alabama sells out for Louis- Louisiana Monroe if it came to that. I like I like that now we're just the the economics podcast. So I mean, turned listen, we're just, this you, is a big, this listen, is a big Darren Ravel segment right now. Yeah. Listen, you're getting your degree Saturday. I already have my degree. We are qualified to talk about whatever we want on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I just don't want to turn into a giant nerd like Ravel. So uh, <laughs> if, I, if I can steer clear of that, then I will. And I mean, Brady, you got to think the TV contracts, the ticket sales, just like think about the economy of like a city like, okay, maybe not Baton Rouge because that's, you know, a huge city in Louisiana. But I mean, you've been to Tuscaloosa and Auburn. What happens to those cities without college football in the fall? Oh, dude, Tuscaloosa just the, the I don't even want to think about what would happen to Tuscaloosa without football. That's just a, that is a sad, sad town without football. That's what I'm saying. I mean, and just think of like other cities you've been to for football. I mean, I've traveled for multiple places. I mean, Oxford, Mississippi might implode without Ole Miss sports. That's fair enough. What do I you mean, think happens in Starkville? Starkville just, I, 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 was I mean, to say, have you been to Starkville? Cal, Starkville? Starkville's one sneeze away from imploding in the first place. Cows just wander onto the stadium, they're just in the stadium somehow. I mean, they might all be there. I don't know. (laughs) Do you remember that show on History Channel? Like, I forgot what it was called. It was like uh, the time after people. It was like all about what would happen to like the biggest cities if people disappeared. No, Zach, you've been watching some weird TV. (laughs) I I watched all kind of weird stuff as a kid. That's what happens when your parents just give you the remote and then leave you at the house at like (laughs) nine years old. 
They said, here's your babysitter. Here's the DVR <laughs> facts. So yeah, it was like, I forgot what it's called. If you guys know, hit a, hit us up on social media because I'm blanking. But yeah, it was all about what would happen to big cities. You know, if people disappeared, it'd be like five months, two years, 50 years, et cetera. Starkville is already at like the 50 year mark. If college football is gone, it's, it's over. It's just a grass infested. It's someone's farm. With a big stadium in the middle of it, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I think it's. Listen, I want to end this segment off on a positive note, guys. I don't want to sound like we're being, you know, ignorant to the fact of COVID nineteen, and I understand that people's safety is up is of the utmost importance. But we're we're speculating on this based on states who are already reopened. If no one's open, we can't have college football. We understand that. It was just breaking down. Something where if some states deem it appropriate to play football, can it happen? Um, I think some schools are going to have to. I, I think this will be the case moving forward in college football this year. And I think it's a serious conversation that me and Brandon are going to have to address moving forward. But uh, moving on to our last segment, guys, this has actually gotten pretty good you know, reviews here. I think you guys like these recruiting updates. And not a lot of people follow recruiting on their free time. So getting a quick... 10, 15 minute breakdown by us seems to really get you guys interested, but we continue our 2021 recruiting update segment. We've covered Ohio state. We've covered UNC. We've covered Tennessee and USC. We now bring you guys another update, but we go down to Gainesville, Florida and analyze what the Florida Gators are doing this recruiting cycle. After two straight seasons of having top 10 classes, Florida is in the top five of the rankings this season. The class is stacked with some elite recruits. It has seven top 300 recruits already committed. Brandon, what do you think this says about Florida and them moving forward? And what do you think of what, what would you say about Dan Mullen's work at Florida so far? Uh, I don't want to say anything positive, even though I think I have to for the segment. Um, yeah, I mean, he's looking great. What can I say? I mean, he, right now they're second in the SEC uh, for 2021. They're fifth nationally. I mean, their their average rating this season is, I mean, it's consistent with what it was this past year. I mean, over their entire recruiting cycle. I mean, they had a point nine zero seven zero. Now they have a point nine zero seven one for for 2021. Um, you know, they've obviously boosted themselves up. I mean, they've had a, they had a top ten recruiting class. Uh, for 2020, they're at number five right now. You know, they're two in the SEC for 2021. They were six last year. Uh, they tr- they seem to be trending upward. Um, to be at this point in the recruiting cycle and to have – you already mentioned the the, the seven uh, top 300 prospects. I mean, they're all four stars. That's pretty impressive. I, I mean, to be this high without any five-star commits at this point is insane to me. It's just – it's nuts. Um I don't want to say too many more good things, so I'm gonna pass the I'm gonna pass it on to you real quick, Zach, because I I might be having an aneurysm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, I think all our listeners and Brandon know. I've, I think I've been the driver of the Florida hype train for a few months now, and I don't plan on pulling over anytime soon. This team is going to be elite very very soon, and I would say is already one of the best teams in the country. Ain't that right, Brandon? Nah, I don't know. <laughs> they they smack at LSU this year in the swamp, but wrong, that's another wrong. that's another segment for another day. But 
that for me, this recruiting class is coming together extremely well for Dan Mullen in Florida, and they have plenty of room for additions. I mean, their top recruit right now is Tyreek Sapp, number seven, strong side defensive end in the country, number 96 nationally. And I think he's going to step in and be the next elite pass rusher. Uh, he does have a, a bit of a speed problem right now, but his size is off the chart. He's going to be a real problem in the SEC. I mean, Brandon, when you think of Florida, I mean, they've had some elite defensive linemen. And so I can imagine that Sap being from Florida only looked at that. And that I feel like this was an easy choice for him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it had to be. I mean, and another thing I wanted to bring up real quick is that these Florida commits, I mean, we've had a few that are, that are somewhat recent. I mean, we have some in 2020. I mean, but you look back at their, their commits. I mean, Tyreek Sapp, like you just mentioned, he committed in 2018. He committed on, on Christmas Eve, 2018. Um, they have two community college, uh, prospects. I mean, one from Independence Community College in Kansas, the uh, last chance youth school. Or the uh, second last chance thunder. Oh, I'm taking you. I'm taking your spot, dog. Uh, that, that that kid is a monster, guys. It, they both are. The, both are community yes. college transfers. Dewan Black and De, and Devay Hammond. I mean, just both are going to be instant plug and play players when they get to campus. I promise y'all that. I mean, Hammond is a mauler at guard. If you just catch this kid's highlights, I wish he was on last chance. You this kid is a monster and Dewan Black out of Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College guys outside linebacker 6'4 225 and is one of the most athletic linebackers coming out of JUCO the JUCO rankings have not been released yet so these recruits aren't even playing it really impacting their recruiting class ranking I would bet what yeah I would bet whatever amount of money y'all are they will these players will both be top three at their positions in the JUCO rankings Oh yeah, I mean easily. I I think that, and I think that if these players, I mean, if they were coming out of high school, you know, if they had the same ratings as as any of the other players, and that may that may not be something that a lot of our listeners know about. I mean, if you're coming out of JUCO, you kind of get a cap on what you can be uh, ranked as far as like how many stars you get. Um, yeah, I think it's a. Th- I think it's a three star rating, right? Like Cam Newton was a three star or four star coming out of JUCO. Right, like you can't come out of JUCO and be a five star. Like it's, it's like you can't. That's just it's not. I don't know who made the rules, but that's one of the rules. Um, so I, I mean, if you give these players, I mean, an honest rating, like say, I mean, um, you know, just for instance, I mean, they have four years of eligibility, just like any of these other kids. Um, but I mean, imagine that they they were uh, that they were coming out of high school. I mean you'd have to boost Florida's rating up like a lot, right? I mean, I understand they're already at number five nationally, but I mean, you take these two kids into account, and I think that they have an argument to be top three nationally right now. I think Dewan Black might be the number one Juco player in the country. I mean, he'll probably be top five just overall. Uh, he's that good, guys. And He's coming, out of, he's coming off of that uh, Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College team that just won the national yep. championship. Exactly. He's a stud, guys. And Hammond probably won't be as high because they don't give offensive linemen their props, but he'll be a top one or two guard coming out of JUCO. And, you know, uh, I think this JUCO talent is great. I mean, Florida has a big turnover every year. They lose a lot of defensive talent. And 
a defense and offensive talent and O-line and linebacker is a position you can never have enough talent at. And so I'm excited to see both these guys suit up for the Florida Gators in the future. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not necessarily excited for it, but I'm excited for these players' opportunities. <laughs> yeah, because they're going to be smacking LSU soon. I can't wait. But, you know, going back to their freshman class, I mean, Clinton Burton Jr. out of Maryland, I mean, they're getting national talent all the way in Maryland. Florida's pulling these players, and he is just the prototypical Florida DB. When you think of Florida, you think of athletic Quick playmaking DBs, and he has in he has the ability to turn any play into an explosive play on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I mean, and, and honestly, I mean, you could say I, I don't want to say you could say the same thing, but you could say a lot. Uh, I mean, a lot of similar things about a lot of these players that Florida has recruited right now. It's it's crazy to me to think that they have uh, they have seven four star recruits lined up. And then the rest of these players, I mean, they don't have anything less than a, than a three-star committed right now. That's just, I, I mean, their ceiling's not super high. They don't have any five-stars whatsoever right now. I mean, that doesn't mean that they're yet. out of the... I must say, yeah. That doesn't mean they're out of the running by any means. I mean, it's it's super early in the recruiting cycle. But, um, I mean, to be concentrated right there with, with seven four-stars... And what five three stars plus the two JUCO yeah. transfers? I think Florida's looking. I mean, they're in great shape right now. Yeah, and you think of Kyle Trask leaving after this year. They have Emory Jones to replace him, but they're going to need a quarterback after that. And Carlos Del Rio, eleventh ranked quarterback out of high school this next year. I mean, has size at six two two oh five, and he's going to get bigger. Uh, over this next year, and he has the decision-making ability to be elite. I mean, he only has five interceptions last year, Brandon, as a, as, as a junior, and he had almost 600 yards rushing, which shows his athleticism and a type of quarterback that Dan Mullen needs to thrive. And his only thing is he should improve his accuracy, but I think he has the raw skills to improve behind Emory Jones next season and maybe the season after. Yeah, and – and here's one thing that I'll say about about Florida's uh, recruiting is right now, they have a lot of in-state talent. Is what it looks like. I mean, Tyreek Sapp out of Fort Lauderdale, um, and, and I mean, you know, they have a lot of Florida players like Trevante Rucker, uh, the wide receiver out of Ocala. Uh, and, but I mean, they've recruited deep into Georgia, another talent-rich state. And that's not even to mention, I, I mean, they, they've reached all the way up to Baltimore. But I mean, they've concentrated a lot. Of their uh, of their talent, at least in this recruiting cycle so far, to Florida and Georgia. I mean, a majority of their players are from these two states. What do they have? They have eight from Florida, four players from Georgia, then one from Maryland, one from South Carolina. And so, this, I mean, this is at this point they're just focusing on on basically the local kids. I mean, the kids who grew up watching Florida football, almost. And I mean, just imagine as it gets on later into the recruiting cycle, you're going to get more of these kids. Not only that, you're going to get a much more uh, national brand established for Florida. Well, I mean, I feel like Florida, Florida, Miami, Georgia, one of those teams where if you just recruited your home state, I mean, you could compete for a national championship every year. I mean, Miami did it in the 80s and 90s, early 2000s. So, I mean, there's really no need to go outside. No, I mean, there's not. I mean, you know, we've talked about it time and time again. I mean, Florida is such a talent-rich state for football. And, I mean, obviously you want to reach up to Georgia too just because Georgia's there, they're readily available, and they are arguably 
more talent rich than, than Florida. Uh, I mean, at least recently, I mean, it looks that way, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, as long as Florida is establishing themselves in these two States, uh, I mean, they might not necessarily need to establish themselves in too many more areas, but I mean, it's, it, it could never really hurt to try no, to reach for the, for the best talent across the country, right? De- definitely not. And I, I imagine Florida's almost locked up a top 10 class. And if they can land some more elite talent, I think they could eventually wind up finishing top five, which will be one of the higher ranked recruiting finishes in school history. So big things going on down in Gainesville. But guys, that is a wrap on this episode. Um, brought it to you guys on Friday, not Thursday, because we came a day late earlier this week. We're going to get back on track next week. New episode coming Monday uh, and Thursday next week. But like I said last episode, big announcement, live stream coming Wednesday. And it will be available. We'll make an announcement. It'll be available on YouTube, Twitch, Periscope, Facebook Live, all that fun stuff. Catch us wherever you want to, you know, send us questions, everything. We'll answer any question y'all have. This is a show for you guys. We don't come with an agenda, a script, anything like that. This is y'all's show. You guys direct it and, you know, come, let, come, you know, let your voice be heard on the podcast. But find us everywhere, um, you know, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. Social media, I know y'all knew it was coming. Instagram at the underscore blue bloods, Twitter at the underscore underscore blue bloods, Facebook at the blue bloods pod, YouTube search the blue bloods college football podcast, or just the blue bloods, whatever y'all want to do there. Rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts five stars, please. Uh, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, guys. We build, we're building up a strong listening base. We appreciate you guys tuning in. You guys keep tuning in and listening. We'll keep dropping. That is how that goes. But for right now, we out.